Lunch Bubblegum, because I am into this stuff. I said lump off, Mom. What's wrong with me? Can you keep your evil doing quiet? Finn is dealing with some heavy stuff over here. Unacceptable! I'm not cut out for adventuring. Finn, you messed the beat up. I just want to sit here and moan. Then I'll moan with you, buddy. You know what I was doing on the way here? What were you doing? I had uh, found a couple YouTube clips of people just talking about the show. Uh-huh. And I was just playing them over my car speaker. <laughs> While I was driving. That's here. hardcore. It is. That's really hardcore. It really is. I know so much now. <laughs> you guys, this is the Conversation Parade. It's an Adventure Time podcast. I'm Mike Eagle, and this is John Moe. And in a little bit, we'll be talking with Adam Mudo. He's currently the co-executive producer for Adventure Time. He's also been a writer and storyboard artist for the show. And he'll talk with us about why the characters are so dang lovable. I think that comes from not wanting to do, like, a serial villain, like... It's, it's Skeletor, and he's just going to show up every single week, and, and they'll have to fight him, and he'll be defeated. And there's something just not very satisfying about that. But first, me and John are going to do what we usually do, which is gush. Gush hard about Adventure Time. Mike and I are, are both uh, uh, sort of obsessive fans of, of Adventure Time. I think it's—about six months ago, I came down and said— it's my favorite TV show of all time. It's pretty awesome. It's my favorite TV show because I just, I can keep watching it. I can keep being delighted. I can keep finding new things. The The, the way we talked about approaching this is that we'd bring in a certain topic. We'd each bring in like a, a show and tell. Right. And, and it would be a character, a concept, a theme, an episode, a storyline, whatever it was. That was the, the one thing that I really wanted to uh, talk about mm. a lot. Which is the hero manual, the uh, the Enchiridion. The Enchiridion, uh, and it's a a really old book. It's bejeweled and and decorated, and it's got these iron bindings. It's a sacred text. Yeah, um, and it first comes into the story as a Princess Bubblegum sends Finn to get it. It's being guarded by the Minotaur Manish Man, mm-hmm. <laughs> who you would think would be an imposing guy, but he's actually like really cool. Yeah. Um, and as it's presented to us, it starts out, you know, you, you think it being the hero manual itself, that the lessons in it are the important thing, but we don't know that much about actually what's written on the pages. I believe the the first thing that we found out is that, uh, there's a chapter on how to kiss a princess, uh-huh. which, which, you know, uh, Finn was embarrassed to tell princess bubblegum about. Um, and there's one that says like that this is all, uh, Something along the lines of this is all didactic advice for a hero that should be ignored. <laughs> uh-huh. like that. Like, so it's a bit, you know, so then you start to get the sense it's a big book of pages of things that are not necessarily very useful. Yeah, but, or are obvious in some right. way. Yeah, But the lich, the, the arch villain yes. of, uh, of at least thus far in the show, the only character who is not funny at all. Right. He's... Uh, in appearance, he is a mostly corroded skull head right. with uh, some sort of antler. <laughs> right, he's like he's like a green gas inside of a skeleton, yeah. wearing a torn shroud, <laughs> right. with a broken horn. Voiced by Ron Perlman, yeah. <laughs> and as he walks by, things just die. <laughs> yeah. So he wants the Enchiridion, right? And we're led to believe that it's for something inside of it, but then it turns out that the Enchiridion is actually a portal to all these different dimensions. 
Um, he sort of tricks Finn, and I mean, it's all spoiler alert, I guess. Yeah. But you know, I'm, hey, I'm come on. I'm hoping you're on board. It came out years ago, <laughs> exactly. Um, when Finn realizes that he's being tricked into, into giving it to the Lich, he attempts to destroy it, and it actually opens the portal to the other dimensions. Um, and I'm skipping the part where he had to collect all of these jewels, like the Ice right. King's crown right. jewel is in it, Princess Bubblegum's jewel, and you know, all these lots of jewels from from crowns of of princesses plus the Ice King. Right, and you know and the the manual's activated, and then we come to know that there's all these different dimensions. Um, the one where uh, Prismo, the interdimensional time being. Yes, the two-dimensional, interdimensional time being who's a, a dream of an old guy. <laughs> Manifest in a in a timeless room floating God, in space. I love this television show. <laughs> it really is amazing, isn't it? Hey, hey, did you guys see that? You know that was a ghost wearing a dead guy. That might be the nastiest thing I've ever seen. And then the nasty, nasty jazz. When, when you're talking about the jewels that need to be gathered for the Enchiridion, they're coming from all these princesses, mm-hmm. plus the Ice King. Right. Do you think that's why the Ice oh, King is so into... That's very interesting. That he's singularly motivated to acquire a princess. I, I am very uh, obsessed with the idea of the crown itself. And I haven't necessarily jumped down the rabbit hole of collecting all the crown knowledge yet. Uh-huh. But the crown as a plot device yes, and what that means to the character... Simon Petrikoff is something that really resonates with me. Give some history, if you could, of of how that that crown uh, formed the Ice King. Well, um, from what I do remember, not having reviewed all of that, is that you have Simon Petrikoff, who is a scientist of some mm-hmm. sort. He looks like John Lennon. Yes. <laughs> Somewhere between John Lennon and a South Park guy. <laughs> right. he, um, he comes into contact with this crown, and it's a crown that he uses while defending young Marceline because it gives him these powers to control ice and fly and genuinely be more formidable in terms mm-hmm. of you know defending her. So in the beginning, he's a guy named Simon who has a crown that's powerful. Right, but he doesn't wear it. He like wears it clipped to his hip mm-hmm. because when he puts it on, he starts to lose his mind a little bit. Right. And it affects his mind over and over again through use to where he promises Marceline that he won't put it on anymore but in some other moment of trying to protect her for danger he puts it on again and it changes him permanently it changes his physical features his, you know his nose changes his um his complexion yeah, his physiology changes his, the length of his hair mm-hmm. changes and it changes his personality he goes from this thoughtful uh caring guy to being obsessed with uh kidnapping well being near princesses because he doesn't necessarily seem to want to hurt them is just his... If he could fall in love with them through the ways that everybody else can fall in love, that would probably be preferable to him. But that's right. that's not really possible, and so it, he resorts to kidnapping. Because it seems like his will to be close to them trumps any other moral mm-hmm. code. Mm-hmm. He feels like he's just going to die. <laughs> yeah. Why are you keeping these girls prisoners, jerk? You don't understand. I collect princesses because I want to marry one. I really want to talk about the crown forever. <laughs> the crown means a lot to me, uh, like emotionally. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of of thoughts of uh, entertainers and how uh, how fame can affect them. Um, they seem, you know, you ch- you you have this this thing, these powers. Let's say let's say your your power is a talent, mm-hmm. and 
you start using it for whatever reason and then it begins to go to your head and it starts to change your identity and you start to be known by that it it starts to warp who you are if you're doing these things um, publicly and I guess with the Ice King it's not so much a relationship of public versus private but it's just this this device well when you look at the crown and the Ice King so he was a, an ordinary scientist named mm-hmm. Simon Petrikov uh, before he acquired this crown in, in Scandinavia okay. <laughs> it's pointed out which is a little detail that as a, <laughs> as a Scandinavian American I've always enjoyed um, but the crown makes him crazy it does and it makes him incapable of relationships with anybody other than penguins. Right. Um, but it also makes him immortal and it lets him fly. Right. And change things into ice. And change things into <laughs> ice and, and have a palace and, uh, and a rad drum kit. So, I mean, are you saying that, that you would rather be Simon than the Ice King? Hmm. If I had, if you're Simon Petrikov now... Mm-hmm. What would the Ice King version of you be, and would it be worth it? I mean, I am that guy sometimes. Sometimes when I'm on stage, I'm definitely the Ice King. You're in Ice King I'm mode? definitely indulging myself in ways that would that if I did it uh, as a normal person, it wouldn't allow me to have very good relationships with yeah. people. I often say when I get off stage, like that first 15 to 20 minutes, I am at least socially insane. Really? At least, at, yeah. I, I The place that I go where I feel confident enough to talk and say my things and to expect uh, hundreds of other people to be quiet or only make noise on command. (laughs) (laughs) Do what they're told. Yeah, it's a very particular uh, wavelength inside of myself. And um, a lot of times I have trouble with the readjustment off the stage, like being a, you know, stepping back into my you know my normal ways of dealing with people mm-hmm. you know and you know ice king he did it for the right reasons yeah you know, he didn't think that he could save marceline if he wasn't wearing a crown right and he promised not to because he knew eventually what it was going to do yeah and he made the choice to do it anyway and you know occasionally you see flashes of him being a sympathetic guy you see that there's a heart in it i mean Certainly over the course of the series, he he started out as more of a typical evil guy, and now he's just a lost soul. I really, one thing I really appreciate about the show is that I think almost every major character has been a heel of an episode. Yeah. Almost everyone, even if, you know, Finn and Jake are fighting or, you know, or Finn's being weird with the little people or, you know, Marceline, when she first started, was kind of like heel princess bubblegum really invading people's privacy all the time right and then yeah. you know when, when you know when she was controlled by the lich as well yeah. and then it's funny um yeah except the lich he's the yeah. only person without any any sort of gray area and that that gets into the 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 show and tell that i brought in today which is which is the earl of lemongrass oh, love lemongrass love lemongrass so much so this is a, a guy who was Created by Princess Bubblegum, and he is sort of founded on uh, those terrible lemon candies. <laughs> lemon heads. <laughs> lemon heads. And, uh, and he is resultantly bitter. And, uh, and she refers to, to Lemon Grab as her only failed experiment. Right. Um, because, because he – here's what I love about Lemon Grab. He's prone to screaming. He's uh, prone to declaring things as as unacceptable, <laughs> and in, in his in his manner, unacceptable. 
I often find Lemon Grab to be the most sympathetic character on the show. I agree. Because he does not know how the world works and he can't figure it out. Right. Because the lich knows how the world works and is evil and is trying to accomplish his evil goals, but but is a motivated person with goals. He's getting things done. He's getting things <laughs> done. The Ice King wants love and doesn't, you know, is, is just determined to work within the parameters of the world as best he can. Lemon Grab can't figure things out. Right. And doesn't know how to behave. Often exits a room by falling out the window. <laughs> uh, will, uh, when told to to pet and love a candy person, uh, ends up hitting them hard on the head and threatening <laughs> to put them in his oven. And just can't get a grip on the world. Can't get down with the candy styles, man. Can't get down with candy styles. Uh, can't find anybody to move into his kingdom because yeah. he is such a repellent person. Until finally, three young hoods, the notorious pup gang, right. uh, agree to move in with him. You know, my favorite thing that Lemon Grab ever did uh, was when he got caught spying on the other candy mm-hmm. citizens in their yeah, sleep. in the dark. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess he initially felt that he shouldn't do the things that he felt like he wanted to do. Yes. But then when challenged, he, he told Princess Bubblegum, you made me this way. Yes. So why should I be any other way than how I am <laughs> if you made me this way? And I thought that was so awesome. Like, and, and I guess it's not okay to do a lot of the things that he does, but it could you imagine if you knew who created you and you knew that they gave you this broken programming code and then they expected you to get it, <laughs> you know? I'm sure you'd feel the same way, you know? Yeah, he says uh, that was in the You Made Me episode where uh, in in an adventure time, glob is sort of the word that they generally use for God. Mm -hmm. Um, He says, I am alone and you made me like this. You made me. You're my glob. (laughs) So he gets to to confront uh, the person who made him. He gets to confront God. Right. And... And blame God for making and, him and, an impossible person. And God, you know, can stand there and admit <clears throat> that she messed up. Yeah. You know, so it that, does put everyone in this unique situation like, yeah, he, if left to his own devices, he'll do awful things. And he did. But <laughs> it's not necessarily his fault because what's inside of him is not normal. <laughs> well, so know? then you wonder what to what do you credit or blame his inability to interact with the world? Is it the his faulty construction by his god, his glob, or is it that his glob has admitted that this creature mm. is a mistake? If you knew that God was saying that you were a mistake, right. could you how could you make any sense <laughs> of anything in the world? Wow. <laughs> a, one of the theories of, of, of his creation is that she was trying to make a human, mm-hmm. um, and she basically... Um, tried to put, I guess, some of her qualities, some of her more human-like qualities into him, but it was like uh, the worst of hers mm-hmm. ended up in him, and he's just all anxiety and freaking out and trying to control, you know? Yeah. Because he is the, the, you know, she's just giving him a bad a bad human script. And then there's, there's, there's this other factor of him. It looks like he'd been kind of locked away in a castle for his entire upbringing and has no... Um, social knowledge of the world yes either at one point he says he doesn't know where food comes from (laughs) (laughs) right and peppermint butler attempts to explain it to him right and he stops him he says no you you, (laughs) i am royal and you are servile (laughs) 
Right. So, uh, you know, on top of this bad code, on top of his um, glob telling him that he's a mistake, he's been locked away from the rest of the people. Yeah. His entire upbringing. So it's just so much recipe for disaster. At at one point, fairly early on in the lemon grab arc, uh, Princess Bubblegum presents him with another lemon grab, a a roommate, a clone. I mean, that's a good idea, right? If the thing that seems to be wrong with this entity is that it can't relate to any other entity. That no one else can bear it. Right. Then you would make another one because then they could have each other. Yes. And initially things go pretty well and they, they wave goodbye to Princess Bubblegum and say a lemon gives by taking and cares by yelling. <laughs> <laughs> which which seems to make sense to the two of them. But, uh, but ultimately, I mean... I, I couldn't bear to live with another me. Could mm. you? It's the kind of thing. It's like that Seinfeld episode where he's, you know, he's dated he all these the different other kinds Jerry. of women, and he, yeah. Oh, he, he meets the girl Jerry, right? Yes. And, and he, and on paper, you think it's perfect, but then actually, you know, <laughs> when you're actually having the relationship, and you realize the annoying things about you, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Then, well, what? And then what if you? What if you knew that that person? had all the same anxieties and secrets right. that you do. Oh, my gosh. How could you even talk to them? <laughs> How could you believe anything they said <laughs> if they did talk to you? <laughs> it just won't do. And the two of them together, the only time that you really see them demonstrate any kind of love, any kind of uh, gentle caring, is for Lemon Sweets, which is the tiny doll version of themselves that they have uh, that they have constructed. So the only time that you really see love coming out of the lemon grabs is for an inanimate object. A totem. <laughs> a totem of, uh, of what they've created. And they're, and it forms the root of, of uh, the conflict between them, how to raise their child right. that they have constructed. And it's, I, I mean, I guess that's kind of a parenting moment where, you know, like, I know with with my wife, we've disagreed on how to discipline a child right. or mm-hmm. what example or what activities to expose them to. The the two lemon grabs, when when unable to decide if uh, their little doll should go to bed or dance, um, one ends up just eating the other. <laughs> I was about to say, I hope that when you and your wife disagree, it doesn't, <laughs> I, it doesn't end the same way. I don't scream. Only. <laughs> And then I I consume her, but uh, but yeah, and to me, like he is the most repellent right. character and the most sympathetic. Now, speaking of their children and speaking of repelling, can you talk to me about Lemon Hope? Lemon Hope, sure. So Lemon Hope, also known as Bad Lemon No Hope, which is the official name given to this poor boy by uh, by Lemon Grab, is is probably the best version of a lemon person that has yet been formed in Castle Lemon. I have a question for you. Yes. Why do I hate him so much? Why do you hate him so much? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, so Lemon Hope, so as as we know, initially when the lemon grabs were given seeds to grow candy food to eat, they tr- they brought them all to life to form horrible mutant creatures that just did not were aberrations to their glob really uh were were an insult to glob above uh but somewhere along the line lemon hope is is born and and he's a, a chubby little boy who plays a harp and sings in a beautiful way and of course the beautiful singing is 
is cacophonous and, and painful to the, the lemon grab people. And he's ultimately rescued from the lemon kingdom, from Castle Lemon Grab, and brought to the candy kingdom to be educated. And that doesn't go well. <laughs> couldn't. Absolutely could not. <laughs> because he's, he shirks his responsibility toward freedom. So mm. he, is, he is instructed that all these people uh, back in uh, Cuba or Castle Lemongrab <laughs> or North Korea or right. the Soviet Union right, right. Are, are being oppressed by, by a tyrannical uh, leader. And, of course, they are. That right. is absolutely true. Right. <laughs> they are. Uh, the the Lemongrab finds some form of happiness when he can be an absolute dictator over his people and get morbidly obese. Right. Then finally things are are kind of okay for a little while. But Lemon Hope on this other side now in the Candy Kingdom uh doesn't necessarily want to rescue his people right. because he said if my people gave me freedom then I am free Ugh. and I'm no longer bound to go back and rescue them. Yucky yucky Lemon Hope. <laughs> What no, is no, no. What what is it you hate about? It's Lemon just Hope? too sweet. I don't know. There's something. There's something like, I don't know. Like I, I don't know how you come from lemon grab in any in any sense and not have that anxiety that I relate to so much. It's that the lack of anxiety, it, isn't it? It bothers me. Like <laughs> who's this lemon mutant? <laughs> like, what? Why is he? Why should he be free? Like so the fact. So the fact that when somebody tries to escape from the castle and then shouts out Viva Lemon Hope or, or <laughs> Come Save Us Lemon Hope and is then gathered back up and eaten by Lemon Grab, <laughs> that doesn't bother you oh, so much as the all. lack of anxiety on the part of Lemon For Hope. some reason, everybody in the Lemon, the Earl, the Earldom, yes. to me, they seem like they're an extension of Lemon Grab, the, the original Lemon Grab, even though they're a separate sentient entity. Yes. I feel like they're all part of him. You know, right, so I right. feel like he can eat him if he wants to. It's him. You know what I mean? It's like he's eating himself. Who cares? You know, but then there's this one. It's like this one's not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand this one. I don't understand yeah. this one. So yeah. maybe I'm guilty. I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm treating him the same way that he was treated by the rest of the candy kingdom because nobody got the original lemon grab. I don't have to do anything that I don't want to. They set me free. And free means I decide what I do, not them, and not you! Dude, I'm sorry, but that attitude is unacceptable. Oh, I mean... This week I talked with Adam Mudo, the co-executive producer for Adventure Time. If you're wondering what he does, you're like me. It's the first thing I asked him. I've taken over for Penn in his showrunner duties, so I usually say... I'm like the fake pen, uh, <laughs> the caretaker pen. Uh, no, it's it's like all the day to day. You know, it's like any show. There's there's like a thousand things that need approvals, and it's whatever we have time to get to. And uh, because it's animation, we've usually got multiple episodes in production at various stages. So it's just kind of right. jumping from pre-production to post-production. Uh, and so day to day, it can change. So like this morning, there was a writer's meeting. And then right after that, there was a pitch. And then I just came back from an intern's pitch. So and then <laughs> after this, I <laughs> after this, I've got uh, some approvals and an animatic to approve. 
Like when you say approvals, like what does that mean? Whatever ends up on screen, be it uh, what take we used or what timing we used or uh, which character design and how the background got painted, all of that is what we do at the Burbank studio. And you mentioned the word animatics. Is that what you said? Yes. What, what exactly is that? So after we have the storyboards, uh, we kind of reverse engineer a script from that. And so that's what they use at the voice recording. So once, uh. once we get all those takes and all those takes picked, uh, the animatics editor takes all the storyboard panels and all the like circle takes from the recording session and just times them out. So it's, it's like a rough version of the episode uh, just to give us an idea of how it's playing and what jokes are working. Uh, but it's basically right. like the blueprint for what the episode's going to look like once it has final animation. But it's usually just like key poses and, you know, temp music, temp effects. And it's just really to, to sell the idea of this is what this episode is to huh. mainly, mainly the execs. Uh, but we also use it for timing. It's like the funniest version because the timing will never get more crisp than it is in that. How did you get started with the show since that's not the role that you began with? Like, how, did, how was it that you began working with the show? This was actually like Penn's first job out of school. And this was actually in some form or another, this has been basically my career has been working on this show. Like we, mm. we came out of CalArts and he pitched this when he was still in school and I worked on the pilot and that kind of sat at Nickelodeon for a while. Uh, and once it got picked up at Cartoon Network, I came on as uh, mainly a storyboard artist for the first couple seasons. And since then, I've just kind of gone up as people have needed to move on or, yeah, I don't know. Why am I here? <laughs> That's the question we're all asking, all of us, every day. But uh uh, we've talked before um, about the show, and you've you've mentioned to me that there's like ideas or themes or storylines from you know from the beginning, season one even that you guys have just now been able to work in. Yeah, I think just focusing on secondary characters is something mm. that was a really hard sell early on. So it's like we want to do a Marceline Ice King backstory episode. Oh my God, that, there, the storyline between those two and how that unfolds all throughout the history of the world and what became ooh and like uh, that's that's all been especially fascinating for me just in the sense of having these characters who were both kind of initially introduced as villains but then uh they become i, I humanize isn't the word because they're not real people but you start to uh get a sense of what came into uh being with them and, and i don't know that's, that's always been a real fascinating part of the show for me it's like the gray area between the villains and the heroes as, as the show develops yeah, that was kind of an interesting thing at the beginning, too, because like a character like Marceline, I think we even set her up like she'll be more of a foil. She's more mischievous. And I think right. by the second or third episode, it's like, no, she's just their friend. Right. <laughs> yeah, you guys have a problem that everyone you create is ultimately lovable. Yeah, and I think that comes from not wanting to do like a serial villain. Like it's, it's Skeletor, and he's just going to show right. up every single week and... And they'll have to fight him, and he'll be defeated. And there's something just not very satisfying about that. So even Ice King, who started off very kind of broad and, like, he is the villain of the show, at this point, it's like we, we can't even have Finn and Jake punch him without feeling a lot of remorse. 
I would cry. I would cry if he, if they punch him, you know, <laughs> next season. It would it would hurt me. Poor Simon. Poor Simon, I guess. Poor Simon, sort of. You spoke of uh, side characters a moment ago, and maybe uh, season six being a, a chance you guys got to invest in some of those. Were there are there any like side characters that you feel like especially uh, drawn to and want to develop more? The way we do the show. It's it's driven by the storyboard artists because uh, they right. they are the storyboard artists slash writers because what we give them is just like a two to three page outline and all the dialogue all the action they have to come up with so they they take a lot of ownership and that's that's kind of a system we we carried on from I mean it's shows like SpongeBob used that but more recently a Cartoon Network uh, since a lot of the crew were coming off of Flapjack. That's how they worked, mm-hmm. and that's how Penn was used to working. So he carried that through his show. And you find, like, storyboard artists are more drawn to certain characters. So, right, like, Lemon Grab is a good example of there are, like, certain storyboard artists who are drawn to that character and feel like they can say something with that character. And on the other side of that, there are storyboard artists who will never do an episode with that character. Right. Uh, just because they can't necessarily find uh that that entry point uh Uh, so it was it was interesting to see sort of where lemon grab went from his introduction to like the lemon hope episode which isn't ostensibly even about him but right it's still about him and then it's kind of reached uh, a conclusion in the mountain to the point where we could keep making lemon grab episodes or that could be like the last lemon grab episode that's that's like a natural end point goodbye lemon grease goodbye where goodbye from my grease body into the blackness where only my pure essence can go i always thought the lemon grab character was especially interesting because of his um, inherent existential crisis of uh, of of knowing his creator and being sort of rejected <laughs> by his creator, I thought that was a uh, that was really interesting. Yeah, and that's that's also a thing about Bubblegum. Now that we're in season six, is like man, she like creates life as a solution to problems right. a lot. Right. So. <laughs> Hello, am I in the right room? Ah, what? Who's this rigmarole? I'm Lemon Grab. Oh. I made him for you in your pantry for you to be with. There's a lot of there's a lot of possible philosophical pitfalls there and I guess one of them ended with lemon grab in a castle not knowing how to talk to people. <laughs> yeah. And and just sort of what responsibility she abdicated by creating that that person and then basically shuffling them off to like a far off earldom. And I think right. we, we are actually trying to follow up on that stuff. So there's like more bubblegum stuff towards the end of this season because we started okay. taking her in this really authoritarian direction. MPB, it's spy on everybody. No big D. Rather than just make it sort of a joke, uh, we wanted to actually f- try to find what would the natural conclusion to be that if you kept doing that. I read somewhere where you said you were maybe worried about whether or not the show was moving too far away from Finn and Jake as the central characters. Is that something you're, you're still feeling now? I think it's something I'm way more conscious of. But it's, it's challenging because there, there does seem like a finite number of stories you can tell without just sort of doing variations of the same theme with the character. So we've, right. we've tried to find, you know, sort of different 
different things he would be concerned about now that he's uh, 16 going on 17 rather than like exuberant and a 12 year old. Right. Because he's chronologically aged along with the show and developed into a teenager at this point. Yeah. And that was sort of a big question mark too whether that would work because that was something Penn kind of committed to early on and I don't know a lot of teenage shows are sort of hard to watch so how do you (laughs) kind of follow how do you follow this child kind of developing slowly because we have to kind of slow it down to the speed of of TV production Uh, you being the show runner and having so many responsibilities on the show like is there Something that most worries you, most keeps you up at night about the production of the show? I think knowing when to stop and knowing when the natural conclusion of the show is is going to be and whether we'll have a choice in that matter or we'll watch it kind of sail by and be one of those shows mm. that keeps going when there was like a really good ending point and we just kind of missed it. But wow. I don't know. At this point... the there seems to be so many avenues we could go down uh, that I think I just worry we'll run out of steam by the time we get there because it is it is like a grueling schedule and right everybody right. So, sort of has a lifespan with the show and once you like replace out all the parts is it still the same show and all the people who originally were on it are gone can you even say it's the same show so I think that's yeah. that's the main thing is like keeping it viable and and making sure that it's worth uh, continuing. And I think it is. I mean, it, it certainly seems like there's such uh, history and mythology and legacy that you guys are creating. It seems like it could be mined for a long time. I want to say we, we started with that idea that this would be a serialized show and that each episode would kind of feed into the next episode. And that was kind of the thing that was squashed right out of the gate was like, mm-hmm. no, we have to make this like something that can play by itself. And it's, it's comedy right. and all this stuff is cool, but the, the continuity kind of has to be a light concept. Uh, and at this point it's like, it's hard to imagine not building an episode off of what we've set up in other episodes. So we've kind of stumbled into continuity mm. and almost the responsibility of tracking it now more than we did at the very beginning. Because uh, so I want to say we had, like, a grand plan for all this uh, <laughs> from the beginning, but that would be a lie of sorts. It's so funny that you say that because what I always tell people about the show is, like, it's like if Lost, the show, was done right. <laughs> I, always <laughs> <felt> like, <laughs> I always felt like they didn't have a plan either, but they pretended like they did. And it's like you guys are kind of developing everything as it goes along at such, like, a careful pace. Uh, it just seems to be way more satisfying. Well, I used to I used to point yeah. to Lost as like an example because they in the very first episode they set up where are we and that's like right supposedly the question that the show will answer. And I was like, well, we never made that sort of compact with the audience, so right. we don't necessarily have to explain any of this. <laughs> and I think now now that we're six seasons in, I'm like, uh, we probably have to explain some of this now just just by. <laughs> The momentum that is built up behind this stuff. That's Adam Mudo, the co-executive producer for Adventure Time. 
Conversation Parade and Adventure Time podcast is a production of the Infinite Guest Network and American Public Media. It's hosted by John Moe and myself, Michael Eagle. The Adventure Time end credit song you've heard on this podcast was written and performed by Ashley Erickson. Larissa Anderson produces Conversation Parade. Peter Clowney, Steve Nelson, and Stu Newman all lend support. Thanks to Colin Campbell at KPCC for recording John and myself talking. So what do you guys think we should talk about on this podcast? There's so many ideas in Adventure Time we can explore. Listeners, let us know what you would like to hear. Send an email to infiniteguest at americanpublicmedia.org. Or you can holler at me on the Twitters. I'm at Mike underscore Eagle, M-I-K-E underscore Eagle. I look forward to hearing what you guys think.